KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Exactly. 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 A conversation series in search of a finer point. Now, here's your host, New York Times bestselling author Kelly Corrigan. Every family has their own morning routine. In our house, my mom ran it for the first 10, 12 years. And that involved a lot of nagging, which was like, your breakfast is cold. Don't you dare wear those jeans to school. Get down here. And then for some reason, maybe she went on strike. My father took over the routine when I was a freshman. And his strategy was to turn it into this big, giant party and so he would come barreling down the hall saying, Lovey, today's the day. It's going to be a great day. Let's get those feet on the floor, kid. And then he'd go next door to my brother's room and say, Booker, today's the day. You're going to ace that hat trick on the ice tonight. And then he'd go to my other brother's room and say, Jeter, I'm seeing straight A's for you today. And then nobody would move, not one iota. And he would go all the way back down the hall to his room And for reasons that are unknown to all of us to this day, he would throw open his window. I guess maybe he was trying to model something for us. And he would stick his whole body out the window and sort of cup his mouth and say, hello, world. And then in this like little play that he was making for us, the world would say, hello, Georgie. And then he would say, I'm coming out there to get you, world. And then the world would respond, I'm waiting for you, Georgie. And then he would spin back around and come back down the hall towards us doing his, like, big barbaric yawp. So you start every day like this for a couple years, and you can only deduce that the world is a safe place. The world knows your name. It has a sense of humor. I mean, it's rooting for you. His partner, my mother, was, best case, a realist. She said things like, better not get your hopes up, that way you won't be disappointed. And about this job that I so despised. It's not supposed to be fun, Kelly. That's why they pay you. And I find now as an adult that I'm kind of always flipping between the two, this like hello world optimism and protect yourself from disappointment realism. The trouble with that is that everything I do requires optimism. As a mother, I have to believe that my kids will someday become independent adults who can chew with their mouths closed and find their other shoe and solve their own problems. And as a wife, I have to believe that my marriage will rebound after every sort of lull and yucky stretch. As a writer, I have to believe that I will actually finish the book I'm working on and that in the process, I will somehow resolve the dozens of problems I'm finding in every chapter. I know I'm not alone. In fact, sometimes it feels like the whole world is hanging on optimism. So it got me wondering, where does optimism come from? Is there any role for realism or even pessimism? So I reached out to a few creatives. My good friend Matt Nathanson, the singer-songwriter. We had a great talk in front of this super rowdy crowd in San Francisco. Like I said, Matt's a friend, so the conversation got a little wild and woolly there for a second. All right, let's go. My guest is a 
rocker of man buns. He is the father of a five-year-old. He is a veteran of Leno and Letterman and Ellen, and weirdly, The Bachelor. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Nathanson. of the man bun is... Oh, I'm so... I have such man bun envy tonight because I'm between haircuts, and so it just looks... could not look worse, and we worked a lot on my hair backstage, you and I, and I, I don't know how you feel about it, but this is as good as it could get. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about optimism, and I think that it's interesting to think about how people are sometimes disposition, dispositionally optimistic, like, you know, born on a sunny day people, people who could look at an acre of trash and see the one butterfly and think that was just great. And then there are sort of their opposites, which are the people who, dri <laughs> who drive through Yosemite and then all they talk about is the traffic. Oh, yeah. Right? And you think, like, or you could look up. It's right there. Um, so, right? Uh, so where are you on the spectrum? Uh... I think I... I, I mean, th how bad is it is what I really want to say. So as I get older, I get more long-throw optimistic. What does that mean? Just the, the idea that, like, it's all going to shake down okay. Like, mm -hmm. it's all going to work out. And, uh, you know, barring... I mean, we're all going to die. You know what I mean? And, you know, sure. And, <laughs> and that part could yeah. potentially suck unless it's fast. And then, uh, yeah. you know, like a bus. And then it's... Yeah. But I sort of feel like... And then that's just a bummer for everybody else. But for us, it's like... It's, Home run. We're, yeah, we're done. Yeah. It's like... Um, no, the way that I see it is um, I have been pessimistic all my life on almost every level. Um, but I think I've held this... I thought a lot about the question about this idea of the optimism in order to do what I do, which is play music and uh, sort of enter into this, essentially it's just a popularity contest mm -hmm. in the world mm -hmm. of like, love me, don't you love me? Mm -hmm. You know, isn't this mm -hmm. great? And so we start with this chasm hole. Don't that, you love us? Yeah, because <laughs> we don't love yeah. us. We don't love that's us. That's why we do yeah, this. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. And so, but, but I feel like as I get older and I see how the world works and I get more information, and I get more data, I realize that like it's all going to work out. There's a balance in the universe as long as we do the work and we're fortunate enough to have health. And you know, so I feel like on the long throw side, right. I'm like, we got this. This is going to be good. On the, sh I can get really caught up in the, in the minutia, in the details, and that's where the pessimism yeah. rears its head again. Makes you think, you makes you safe to be pessimistic, you know what I mean? Yes, to sort yes, of like, to expect the worst. Yeah, to, well, just to protect yourself from, if you can figure out where things are going to go wrong, then they, when they go wrong, you'll be ready. Um, but, I mean, I think that the creativity requires so much optimism, and because you have to, like, for me, I have to be able to live with the fact that, like, if you walked into a two-story Barnes & Noble, if there are any two-story Barnes & Nobles left in the United States, there used to be quite a few, uh, and you're sort of standing in the middle of all those spines and titles, and every one of them represents someone's dream, you know, years of yeah. someone's work. And there's just one little copy there in the Barnes & Noble, and hope to God today's the day that somebody buys it right. so that the gal behind the counter has to order another one, right? Yeah. And then I have to somehow believe that it's still, given that, that it's still worth me sitting down and spending two or three years 
making another one of those tiny little things that I can shove into the shelf with all the other thousands I'm never gonna write again. <laughs> I've literally just talked myself out of my career. I'm done. Um, but you know, and yeah. you have to believe that it's worth making another album. You're yeah. ten, are you 10 albums in? Yeah, 10 albums in, and one of them was called Some Mad Hope. Yeah. Because I feel like that's all, that's the... Oh, they liked it. Thank, thanks. I paid those, those people, people outside, yeah. it was incredible. There was only four at the time, and I was like, yeah. 20 bucks, when I say the name of my record, yeah. scream. But so, no, so... I'd um, only pay him 10, I just felt like <laughs> oh, that really? scream wasn't well, that Well, they great. were very yeah. psyched still yeah. for 10. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the way that it works is, um, in, I do it because if I didn't do it, I do it from the hope perspective, like we do it from hope, but we also do it because we have this burning need to do it. Because uh, what do we have to offer people that's different, and this is what we talk about, right. is like, what do we have to offer people that other people don't uh, get offered? And really, the only currency we have as human beings, as all of us as human beings, is, to, is our own unique, weird way that we exist and do our life and mm -hmm. see things. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, that's the, fundamentally, that's the human dilemma too, right? We're on this arc in our life to hopefully become as quirky and unique as we can be in a sea of people who are telling us to conform and not be who we are. Mm -hmm. Like me getting played on the radio or someone buying the record or someone buying the book, it's gonna come down to someone relating to your weird, some aspect of mm -hmm. your weird, mm -hmm. quirky self. And so if you pull your punches at all, you're sort of like cutting off your percentage to win. Right. And so, yeah. And it's also like the universals in the particular. Like, you know, I feel like when I'm writing and I say something really specific that when I was younger, I think I thought, oh God, if I go into too much detail here and I make this really about this one moment in my life, it will alienate people and leave them out. And maybe I should stay more general so that more people can tap into it. But that's never the way it works. No. And it turns out over eight years of reading my work aloud that the stuff that resonates the most powerfully is when I'm just going into gory detail <laughs> about like my gunny sack prom dress or the, you know, the, well, I guess that wasn't that particular to me. Um, but you know, like, or, like the guest jeans fight of 1984 or whatever. Also, maybe not that particular, but you know. I had say, both those things happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, so one thing that's really cool and, and makes me hopeful and sort of stirs up my courage to be more me on the page or in situations like this is when I see other people doing it. Yeah, that's it. Like for me, I, I get a huge kick out of Lena Dunham. I get a kick out of her writing. I get a kick out of girls. I know it's not everybody's taste, but like the, just the stuff she's doing with body image and feminism right. and I just think it's thrilling. And, you know, it makes me want to be more honest. It makes me want to stop pulling punches to be likable, which is such a terrible feeling, but it's there because it's a job. It's not, you know, you want to succeed. Yeah. To, the, for me, I am. Um, How whiny did I just sound? <laughs> I mean, I write books and I want people to like them. You just it's so hard, you man. Like it's just so Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, the... the, the Can you hug me? <laughs> I have this hole that my mother left me, and I can't fill it. That's what I have. Uh, anyway, um, uh, so what was the, uh, the question like, was... Like, TV or books or oh, yeah, other start art that people are making that makes you think, yeah. like, 
Art, human That human, makes me feel good about Human it. beings at their finest. Like, uh, I always say, I'd much rather hang out with Born to Run than Bruce Springsteen, right? Because who the hell wants to hang out with Bruce Springsteen, really? Do you know what I mean? Besides you. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, he just seems like a sort of a, he just seems like, you know, he's a, he's Bruce, he has people call him the boss. Like, I don't need a new, I don't need another, I like to think I don't that he does, but he didn't do that. Yeah, okay. Is that naive? Is that That's naive? slightly naive. You think anything happens in that guy's life that he didn't want to have happen? I don't know. Oh, I no, don't know. no, no, no. <laughs> so but anyway. how good is his plastic surgery? Can we just yeah, He looks incredible. I mean, talk about hope. Like, there's hope for all of us. Like, he's like 65 yeah, no, he years looks old incredible. or something. And he looks... Yeah. Dude, I mean, I just... He has not had his last day. That's all I'm saying. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Uh, no, Bruce Springsteen's rad, but like his finest moments are like his records. That's what makes... That's why we don't... For me, all the f people that I've met that make art that I love... It's really like their art is them at their finest hour. Yes. And it's like, and, uh, and so for me, inspiration comes in the form of, of, of any human being kind of like, like just transcending and being their, their most powerful. Yeah. So like when my kid is powerful and says something, it's like it gives you, it gives you hope. It gives yeah. you this feeling of like you want to be alive when a record or a television show. I'm the first one to cry at like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode. <laughs> because it's like sometimes they really hit the nail on the head. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like and, and it's like and, and so for me, I'm I, I pretty much I don't drink, I don't do drugs, I don't do and then so I pretty much search that high wah, out. Wah. <laughs> like, but like that's the high that I search out all the time. Yeah. It's like to try and get I off. I mean the from, idea of seeing people do what they do really well. Oh it's the best. So I once went and watched my brother Booker uh, teach, and this guy was just born to be in a seventh grade classroom. And I had, it was a fluky thing to do, and I felt self-conscious about doing it, but I was in Baltimore, and I said, Book, I just want to sit in the back. And, you know, it's just like, it's the best. it was his magnum opus. I mean, I was like, this is where you belong. I mean, I guess that's really it, is seeing somebody find where they belong and then sort of thrive there. It's the same thing, of course, that you feel yeah. as a parent, Every time your kid, I don't know, like spontaneously practices piano or something. I don't know because that doesn't happen in my it's house. It's never happened in my house. We bought a piano and we're now selling it on Craigslist. So, um, I had this teacher in college, um, Bob Mezzi. He was a poetry teacher. And he would get up in front of the class and he would read poetry. And he read us part of Ozymandias, or I forget what it was at the time. And it was like... You're now you're name dropping. Nobody knows what that is. Does that even exist? Have you ever heard of this? Did anyone here go to an Ivy League school? Anybody? Well, I definitely did not go to an Ivy League school. I know, but school. say it again. Say I, it again. I, think I, I had a class that was Bob Dylan and Lou Reed. That was one of the classes I had. So I definitely did not go to Ivy League school. But so anyway, so but this guy would get up in front of the class, and it was like watching a It was like watching the most passionate human being read. And he was like, he, he, would, he wept in the middle of reading this poem. And it's like, if, if that's all I want out of my life, I just want people yeah. to be real, committed, and passionate. And if we could do that as a whole, and vulnerable, if we could be vulnerable like that, then think about how powerful we are in that state. Be vulnerable and powerful at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it's like that's, we live in a society and a place where they everyone's selling the exact opposite of that yeah. all the time. Constantly right. telling us we're not enough. Constantly telling us we are 
you know, we need this and fear these people, fear these people, fear right. this. And, and power is conviction is another yeah. message that we're getting that is so problematic. Oh, we're in a rough I mean, spot. and of course we have a presidential election going on, so it's just like a conviction contest yeah. of who can sound like more a- sure and like simplify all these incredibly complex problems that have persisted for generations with their little sound bite. Oh, it's just maddening. Yeah, that's true. And Captain Comb over with all his uh, uh, answers, Oh my God, right? this th- ah, it's like, that guy is the biggest <laughs> Anyway, but we don't have to talk about that. We don't have to ostracize people in, we're trying to be inclusive. Yeah, and but, so it's but, like- but to, the, to the vulnerable point and the connection between vulnerability and power, I mean, how thrilling would it be if somebody asked a question in a debate and one of the candidates said, I don't know, I, prob- I don't have enough information to make a decision like that. Here's how I would make the decision. I would call these three people, I would do my due diligence, I'd go look at this, I'd do some research, I'd read up on, and then I'd somehow come to a solution. Like, people would go berserk, right? We would all vote for that person. Uh, no. 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 No, we, we, would, we, we would. would. Yeah. But like, most of the world would be like, you know. He doesn't know what's. What a- well, I can't believe it. It's like, it's crazy the fear that people have and how people want Did to. you hear how that was like, it's crazy. It's crazy the how the fear, 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 fear. But anyway, so anyway, back to optimism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we went slightly askew. So, you know, who, in terms of like individuals who totally thrill me and make me feel like the whole world's going to work out, uh, my number one guy is Elon Musk. Oh, yeah. Right? Because he's working on the hardest problems there are to work on. He's actually getting somewhere on them. He's going to get us off oil. He's going to figure out how to colonize Mars. Right? He's going to get us back and forth to L.A. in the Hyperloop, which is one of the world's great problems. Um, <laughs> it doesn't really stand out. I mean, uh, you no, but when you said it with the other two, though, it definitely felt You can't felt talk about Mars important. and then talk about, like, the L.A. San Fran it, Hyperloop. It felt super important. Yeah. I've gotten so many tickets on the five that I will, I think yeah. I paid for most of that myself. Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing about him that's so, it's kind of meta, but it's super, it makes me super optimistic about this country, is that he came here. He was a citizen of the world, and he came right. here to work, and he came here to set up his companies, and he became a U.S. citizen in 2002, and now he says that he's sort of nauseatingly pro-American. And I think that is rad, and I think the fact that we're a place that people want still, even right. though all everyone's talking in all these debates about what a wreck everything is and how we just need to go back to some other time when everything was much better, right, right, which right. I'm not really sure it was. Uh, it's pretty, you just can't, it's undeniable. You know, he might be one of the smartest people in the world and he, he wants to be here, he wants to work here. Well, and this is the thing about the long throw optimism thing that I was talking about. It's like, human beings get it. Like, we all get it, and we will all figure it out. It's just like, especially in America, we do, you know, all the wrong things before we make the right decision. That's kind of how it works. Even and if it takes us till the 11th hour to do it. It's like my, it's, it's our obligation to, to speak up for people who, are le- who aren't, it's like, it's just important to do your job as a human being. It's important to be kind and empathetic and, uh, and, and speak up for people who can't speak up. It's important to well, do Well, that's something that gives me a lot of hope. Two, two things occurred to me. One is um, that it actually feels good and does good for you physiologically to do good. And I think that the people are understanding that more and more, and that's sort of thrilling, that if you are engaged in sort of world-positive activities, um, you just feel better. You sleep better. It's, it's, it has kind of all the same properties that meditation does. Right. 
So I wonder if you've learned any new tricks lately. Like I, I learned to do a flip turn. Oh, on a skateboard? No. Uh. God, <laughs> you just totally deflated my whole achievement. It, it, I, it did a flip turn in a pool. What? Right? What is that? Thank you. Uh, so, I'm psyched about it. You. I'm psyched for you. Thank you. I'm just, conf I, oh, I know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like what real swimmers do. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I, it was just this dumb thing, but I thought um, someone was shot, but who cares? Uh, uh, no, it's just kind of this dumb thing, but I feel like when you teach yourself something new and you sort of surprise yourself, that it all of a sudden it opens up like a whole bunch of possibilities, and it's temporary, right? Because then you start to like get down <laughs> the on yourself again. The darkness comes back in. Yes, the darkness creeps back in. But um, the darkness creeps back in. Um, but yeah. So have you learned any new tricks lately? Um, Can you do a flip turn? No. No. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I learned to play a song on the piano, and I learned to. I, for me, it's. I'm not very good at playing. I'm. It's my job, but I'm not particularly good at it. Uh, <laughs> Playing the guitar and learning things uh, like that, I don't have really the focus. I'm more of like a, how you all doing? Uh -huh. Yeah! Like I don't uh -huh. have a, it's like, I, I, and all my guitars show that. There's no grace in anything I do. It just looks uh -huh. like someone just like hammered into my guitars. So before the tour started, I figured out a couple songs and learned some new songs and some new picking patterns and that kind of stuff. And those things make you feel incredibly accomplished at the end of, even like yeah. figuring out we learning cover songs that are totally go against the way you'd normally play or normally sing, these kind of yeah. things. So it's nothing as exciting as a pool thing, but I did learn how to play my guitar, yeah. which is my job. Hey -oh. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like I got But you know, it, like even just finding a bit of focus like that, like I, I feel like the, that my job involves a lot of long thought. Yeah. And long thought is really hard to come by, especially when you have children who are moving at a certain pace and then you have cell phones which are just destroying the world, or at least my world. Um, I love them. <laughs> but I get what you're saying. But yeah. it's, it's the, but it, it, it reduces <laughs> things to like such a clip yeah. that when you just have to sit and wrestle with a sentence, yeah. it sort of seems like I should be done by now. Like something should have happened by now. Nothing is happening. This is, must be a wasted session. So even just slowing down enough to learn how to play your guitar in a different way yeah. or to stick with a sentence until you're really satisfied with it or you really feel like you got further than, with the, the idea than you even intended to, you know, yeah. that like it opened up on you at the end. Do you feel like your songwriting's changed a lot over the yeah. last? I was gonna think you just said something like, at the end of your day, if you haven't accomplished something, I feel suicidal at the end of my day if I haven't, like it's, I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. Like if yeah. I get to the end of a day and I feel like I've wasted the opportunity to accomplish something mm -hmm. and it just become this, because you're writing songs or writing books, it's like you're kind of chipping away at this thing and, it's, it, and it, you don't necessarily have an end to it. There's no like, oh, look at how great, it's like it could keep chipping away. Yep. And, and also you can get caught in the sort of the swirling pool of your own you know what I mean? And like, and then, and, and in that situation, you come to the end of the day and you're like, oh my God, I didn't get anything done. Right. And those are the days when I feel the most sort of despondent. Well, do and, you ever rationalize and think like, oh, well, this, maybe this is pre-writing. Like sometimes I go right. from the valley and then I think, well, you had to do this. You know, you had to have a bad day so that tomorrow will be a good day. That's you your had optimism. to explore all these dead ends, right? Yeah, no, I don't But I'm that. an optimist. 
Uh, but I, but well, I do. I did find a great quote about like uh, that I posted on my Tumblr at one point. And it got the most retumbles of anything I've ever done. Is that a thing? Yeah, I don't know. I made it up, I think. But uh, anyway, it was about you know. There's no wasted writing. There's no wasted cooking. It's all right. part of this. Great. Of course, it got retumbled because we're all desperate we're all to believe broken. that, yeah, right? Yeah. Because it's, I love the idea of it, and it's true. Yeah. It is true. And the more you do it, the more it really does sort of. It's like a muscle. If the more you do it, the stronger it gets. And so the more you've seen that footage of Bob Dylan in uh, Don't Look Back, where he is looking at the sign and he's rearranging the words in the sign. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, wash your dog here now, go ahead. Go, dogs, wash here now. And he's like moving all the words around uh -huh. and he's making different sentences out uh -huh. of this thing. And it's like, that's what Bob Dylan, that's why Bob Dylan was the master at that time, because he had just sort of honed his skills to such a degree that it was, it was effortless for him to put words together in a way. Yeah. And so he'd get 37 verses of Desolation Row, you know what I mean? And it's like, and some of them are the greatest things you've ever heard in your life. Right. And some of them are, you know, just like passed over trash. But it's like, but that's what you have to do. You have to just keep chipping and chipping. And so are you a percentage guy? Like you just create enough so that there's something good I you wish. know, like a denominator, numerator no. kind of thing? Or is it like I, you just pound away at one thing until you get it the way you I'm want like it? I'm like a seized up, uh, I'm like in need of creative metamucil. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, for me, I just <laughs> bring on the brand. That's what I say. Uh, for me, I want to be that person that writes so many songs that we have this like unbelievable amount to choose from and be like, that one's real good or that one's, and it's like, it just isn't that way. I, I, I usually get just enough songs for a record, just finish them just in time. Yeah. I, I just, uh, my assassin is stronger than my uh, creative self. Uh -huh. They sit there and it's just sort of like, you're an idiot. You're dumb. That's yeah. terrible. Yes. And then I have to, sometimes I can like duct tape that guy's mouth shut, yeah. stick him in the trunk, and then he, he gets free, but he's yeah. in there for about three, three, four minutes, and I can get a couple of things yeah. out. Um, all right, so I like to end every conversation with my favorite six questions. Are you ready? I love you that you have a book. Isn't it cute? I made it. It's from a garbage bag in my house. <laughs> it is. I would say that that's a way bigger accomplishment than the kick turn. First of all, it's a flip turn, <laughs> mister. <laughs> And you would know that if you'd ever tried it. <laughs> but you're such a pessimist that you wouldn't even jump in the pool. So there. You're joking, but you're right. Yeah. There was a time in high school when I stood on the uh, bridge. I went to high school in New Hampshire in the woods. And uh, everyone used to go down to the bridge in the spring for like the week and a half that it was warm. And, uh, <laughs> and everyone would jump in the river. And so people would get up on this bridge and they'd jump in the river. It was the thing you did on the weekends. I stood on that bridge for like two and a half hours one time. I, no, no, don't feel bad for me. But I definitely, like, I was in love with this girl, and then she was like, come, jump through the bridge. And I was great. And everyone was jumping, and I just kind of stood there, and then everyone, like, went home. <laughs> and she was waiting, and she's like, she was like, it's all good. Like, you don't have to jump. And I was like, good, because I really don't want to jump. And if that's not the, no, no, I don't need it. Uh, but anyway, that is the, epi that's the epitome of how I approach uh, spitting as I speak. That's the epitome of how, <laughs> epitome of how I approach spitting. That's how I see things. I'm a very cautious human being, except on stage. I feel like in every other part of my life, I live an incredibly fear-based existence. And so I'm trying, as I get older, to sort of like shake that off and realize that there is no fear, really, 
It's like it, 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 fear is hell. I guess it's like shake the panic, keep the fear, I guess is what it is. You know, it's like uh -huh, shake the good. panic and sort of like move your way through the fear and it's all going to be fine. And I never did jump off the bridge. So yeah, I probably wouldn't do a kick turn. But, yeah. But uh, yeah. Um, you know what my thing is that gets me past the fear is 7 billion people. Like there's 7 billion people here, who cares? I know. Who cares what happens tonight in front of all these people? It's just, there's 7 billion people here. Like people are like being born and dying right now and breaking up and coming together and losing their house and having a heart attack and saving someone's life and right this second while we're sitting here, like who cares what happens? It that can't possibly matter. That might be where my narcissism kicks in. <laughs> 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 I like to think it, of myself as a recovering narcissist, but it's still there <laughs> in that particular portion of my life where it's like... Right, because uh, there's seven billion yeah, and one. It's like, and me. Like, yeah. yeah. Totally. I'm an astronaut in space. And it's like, my wife has to remind me of this often, where she'll be like, I got to tell you a little story about how you're not the only person in this house. Right. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. Had one of those last night. And my kid, my kid comes up, so we're having this, uh, th this sort of, it's a heated discussion. And because uh, every time I come back from tour, there's always this, we call it the re-entry period, where like, it's like, oh my God, the vet, we're going to blow up. Yeah. And then you land, and you're like, oh my God, this is so great. How beautiful is, you know, the yeah. Space Center here at Kennedy. And uh, <laughs> so last night was like the re-entry sort of thing. And uh, I'm having this sort of like, and a couple times my kid has been, my kid's super empathetic. One time we were in, uh, fighting quietly in the front seat in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, uh, like whisper, my, whisper yeah, yeah, yelling, whispering, like, like you, I well, don't do know, you I said. And like this, like, yeah. if you want to drive, you <laughs> drive. And if you want to <laughs> navigate, you <laughs> navigate. And we're going back and forth <laughs> like this. John, honey, would you like some Cheerios? So she goes like this, yeah. my kid goes, my kid goes like this. We're having this, this is when she's three. So last night she did this thing where she brought out her feelings journal. And she's like, I need both of you to put down your feelings in the feelings journal. <laughs> she's five. I you know, she's like, you can, you, she's like, yeah. you can draw a picture or whatever you need to do, but you can do this. And I was like, and so much so that this morning I woke up, I'm like, how'd you sleep, Bubba? She's like, I see that you didn't put your feelings in the journal. <laughs> like, I do not. And when she was three, we're in the front, like having a quiet, <laughs> and uh, she goes, she, she goes, she goes, we're, it was over directions, and we're, and she goes, oh, we're never gonna get there, are we? <laughs> and so I look back and I go, and she goes, I just wanted to see you guys laugh again. And I was like, oh, we have like a young Yoda on our hands. Yeah. So I learn from her all the time. She's, she's powerful. That's right. Naked rad. and powerful. Yeah. She's just like, it's like, oh, I love it. Right in the journal. I'm like, yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're listening to Exactly on KQED Public Radio. We'll be back after a break. If you're enjoying this conversation, you will love my interview with actor and author B.J. Novak about the key components of good comedy. Comedy is about the art of surprise with the obvious. A great joke works the same way that a great mystery works, where you get to the conclusion and you're like, oh my God, that's so obvious and I never would have thought of it in a million years. That's BJ Novak on our podcast at kqed.org slash exactly or on iTunes.
Welcome back to Exactly. I'm Kelly Corrigan, talking with musician Matt Nathanson. Okay, you ready? This six questions. Bring it. Uh, what song have you listened to more than any other? Oh, probably With or Without You by U2. Oh my God. Whatever he says, all the women in the room just well, go, Well, that was oh. incredible. That was the best reaction. You guys must love you too. It's like, yeah. no, that song I think is perfection. Like it's, it's the song itself structurally or whatever. That song is one of those songs where magically it all just works. And every time it comes on, I have to kind of stop what I'm doing. So if I'm driving in the car mm. and it comes on, or I've seen that band live probably like 70 times. And every time they play it, every time, I just have to, it stops me in my tracks. And I'll say, whoever's in the car, but most of the time I'll be like, dude, how incredible is it? And I'll turn it up and talk and be like, listen to the drums, they just use the room mics in, oh my God. It's... And then Bono like opens up at the end. Yeah, that yeah. song for sure. Um, if you had a year to get really good at something, what would you try? Cooking. Really? Yeah, I want to learn how to beat, how to cook. Especially we did this thing yesterday uh, with with like chefs and watching them at work, it's that's beautiful stuff. Man. Well, that's sort of the same thing we were saying about seeing somebody in their element. Yeah. What a thrill that is! Yeah, watching someone at that, watching a chef sort of function on this level, and then it's beautiful stuff. And that yeah. I would love to be able to do that. Who do people say you look just like? Are they being nice or are they being? You can give us both. Uh, I'll give you my high and my low. If you give oh, me yeah, your high me, and your me, low. Oh yeah, hit me, hit me, hit me. Well, you need a little time to think. Yeah, oh, bring it. I'm, I, maybe I'll be inspired. So but. my high was a very drunk older man who thought I looked like Julia Roberts. Uh, yeah. awesome. My low was um, a guy who was on mushrooms who told me that I looked like Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just being vulnerable. I'm just telling you that. You look nothing like Rosie O'Donnell. Keep saying it, sweetie. Uh, I'm just telling you that and that's real vulnerability because now I've put it out there and like maybe now you're gonna start to see her in me. You know what she I mean? She's not a particularly unattractive woman. Matt, who do people say you look just like high and low? Rosie O'Donnell was the high one. <laughs> when I had a... Uh... So the, I don't know, low is so mean. It's not like anybody looked like a baked potato. You know, like, <laughs> like uh, I, guess, I guess people said, th there were a couple that took me by surprise. Someone said I look like ja Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> That's his name, the comedian, Jamie Kennedy. And then Michael Showalter from the state, which I kind of take as sort of a compliment, uh, and because uh, he's rad. And then uh, at one point, someone said, during a certain period of time, and believe me, this was just as delusional as those last two, someone said I looked like, when I had really long hair, they said, you kind of look like Bono. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's great at the time. If it's 1987, Bono, I'm in. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I had a, 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 sort of a, when I had my hair spiked up, uh, it's so terrible. They, someone said I look like, David Boreanaz from Angel, both of which are like <gasps> he super was my neighbor. delusional. Well, mm -hmm. maybe Bones. I was your neighbor. Whoa. Hey, oh. Wait, he lived here? No, he lived in Wooded, right near Wooded Lane where I grew up, the house I grew up in. His dad was the um, newscaster. He was the weatherman in Philly. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's a handsome man. So I he took is. That He's as a, a strapping young man. Yeah. Is if, he? If your mother wrote a book about you, what would it be called? How are you guys doing? What's up? 
if your mother wrote a book about you, what would it be called? Oh, this is one of those ones where you guys are going to go, oh, but probably disappointing. Really? Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Maybe disappointment. Um, what would you like to see fixed in your lifetime? Uh, on, a, on like a grand scale or like a, a me scale? I would love well, for people. You're a narcissist. Be me. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, Most people say like cancer or global warming, but you yeah. could say like you know my back. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> be like, uh, be like your daddy's feet need a little bit of scrubbing. <laughs> I'd like to see that fixed before your the corns. end of my time. Yeah, your my, bunions. Hey, the hip flexors are tight. <laughs> no, um, I would love the world to stop being so terrified of things. Like, uh, I would love it if. I would love it if human beings could be empathetic and stop thinking that people are going to take something from them or that another race is going to come in. You know, like there's so much stupidity that is sort of perpetuated on such a large scale and we are way better than that. And so I sort of would love it if human beings would uh, exist without the panic and without seeing things from a fearful place and allow everyone to be themselves and not think that somehow two men getting married is encroaching upon their life or a woman deciding what to do with her body is somehow encroaching on their life. I would love it if people allowed things to exist in a way where everybody could be who they are uh, as long as they're not, you know, and then that obviously being who they are within the confines of not hurting themselves or hurting someone else, which then brings in a whole bunch of unicorns or real uh, but it's like, it really comes down to like empathy and uh, kindness. And that's why people like Bill O'Reilly and those kind of fools, like it would be great if they would disappear, but they've always been here. Yeah. And so it's like, there's always going to be a balance where there are people that just fear monger and make people believe that, it, but it would just be so nice if everyone could come from this position of like glass half full, this optim, it's not even optimism. It's just this idea that like who they are is worth something. And like who they are as individuals is uh, a currency that matters instead of fitting into uh, and finding solidarity with people on a superficial level. That would be great. If you could say. And my back is real. <laughs> if you could say four words to anyone, whom would you address and what would you say? That's a good one. Um, I'd go back in time to myself as a young person, and I'd say, don't listen to them. I guess that's not for. Don't listen to them. <laughs> don't, don't listen to them. Because I, I feel like most of my life I got off course because I thought that everybody knew things that I didn't, that I didn't about me. Yeah. And yeah. so it's like, so I would take... Uh, and that was it. And people know things about other things, but nobody knows. Uh, you know, there's only a very few, uh, there's a select group of human beings who actually know you better than you know yourself. And if you start polling everybody outside of that, I see the world as like the rings of a tree. And like, I only keep a few people in my intimate circle ring. And it's like, and those people are people that you can ask of things that maybe that would stretch them outside of their comfort zone and that kind of stuff. And then as you sort of start going out in the rings, it, everyone is sort of a, human beings are resources for each other on a certain level, but you have to know what their resources actually are. And so, when, you know, I, I asked so many people to give me feedback on myself 
when really they were just projecting their own so, lack of self-worth or whatever onto. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it really me up and it knocked me off course for most of my life, especially creatively. So I sort of feel like I would tell myself, don't listen to them. Yeah. Right on. All right. So I almost had so much fun talking to Matt that I missed my exactly moment, but I got it in the end and it really surprised me. And that is that I have spent most of my creative life trying to avoid or tamp down any fleeting moments of pessimism, like as if they had this power to destroy whatever I was working on. But what I was hearing from Matt is that not only is that a fool's game, I mean, you are not going to shut out pessimistic moments or pessimistic thoughts or even long, troubling, pessimistic periods, but they actually have a role to play in the creative process and that it's a period of retreat and of skepticism that maybe makes your work stronger or more thoughtful. So I think I'll always be grateful to Matt for copping to his pessimistic moments. Thanks so much for coming. I've loved having you. Please be in touch, and I'll see you soon. This time I'll be sailing No more bailing boats for me I'll be out here on the sea Just my confidence in me I'll be awful sometimes This is Exactly, produced by KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. If you enjoyed this, please check out my talk with Anne Lamott about empathy. Like the two things that you're supposed to really, really try to manifest on this earth are forgiveness and letting go. And they're like my two worst things, you know? And, and we always say everything we've let go of has claw marks on it, you know? It's yeah. like, oh, oh, oh. You can hear so much more from Anne Lamont and other authors on our podcast at kqed.org slash exactly or on iTunes. Thanks so much to our producers, Kat Snow and Anna Adlerstein, coordinating producer, Melissa Williams, engineer, Jim Bennett, production manager, Jennifer Harrison, and executive producer, Michael Issop. I'm Kelly Corrigan. Thank you so much for listening, and please be in touch. I learn to get by. Yeah, I learn to get by. A little victory. And if the world decides to catch up with me, just a little victory.